This is an O'Reilly Media podcast. I'm John Bruner. We're talking today about bias in artificial intelligence, a problem that is going to become more salient over the next few years as AI techniques make their way into a lot of the critical processes that um, operate inside nearly every business and, and every government. My guest is Andy Hickel, who is the chief product officer at Intel Safran Cognitive Solutions Group. Hi, Andy. Hey, John. So in part one of this program, uh, we talked about some of the basic considerations, uh, what can drive bias in artificial intelligence. At the end of that section, you began to mention uh, some technology that you're working on. Let's get deeper into some technical ways to uh, think about bias and address bias in AI. So, uh, what are the what are the main avenues available for for addressing bias? Is it is it about sort of displaying the way that uh, AI algorithms work? You know, deep learning and, and neural networks or cognitive systems, unsupervised learning, um, or is, is it possible to actually build in safeguards against bias in in these systems, or is it just a matter of building in transparency so that human operators can see if they're biased? I think that all of the above are true. I mean, I, I think you know one of the things that we need to challenge ourselves, especially in the supervised learning community, is to make sure that uh, you know we understand how we're acquiring data. You know, we've we've been in a world where acquiring you know we've been uh, so excited about new data sets, mm -hmm. uh, and it's gotten so easy to be able to create new data sets. We haven't necessarily thought about the kind of principles and the the provenance that should go into you know the kind of deep thinking that should go into what constitutes a great data set for an application. Uh, right. And so we need to, we need to do more thinking about how we sample and how we validate data sets as we go forward and how do we understand the kind of topology of the features that we're that we're learning from you know i think transparency is another kind of another exciting area and one that we focus on at saffron uh and you know we are you know i think we this is not necessarily a new topic in ai um mm -hmm. so i mean you can look back at the work in question answering uh and they've long used theorem proving or other kinds of approximations to justify answers and my colleague at peter clark at ai2 the allen institute for artificial intelligence uh has a great group working on this right now where they're uh you know they they're trying to answer questions for the ap biology exam mm -hmm. And it's it's not enough to be able to say the answer is C. Uh, it's, you know, <laughs> what they want to be able to do is understand and introspect the knowledge that they're using to be able to get to the, that the fact that the answer is C. And that's setting them up to be able to perform a lot of interesting optimizations about how they think about the problem going forward. Right. Uh, and we're seeing we're seeing this in computer vision where you know people are introspecting uh, the deep learning models themselves and understanding salient features and saying, oh, that's a kid playing baseball because I see a bat and I see a ball and I see a hat. Mm -hmm. uh, and those things are compositionally associated. And that gives me really con real confidence confidence that I can use. And I think that's the kind of the, uh, the interaction model that we're going to have going forward, especially as we as people come to expect more and more transparency from their learning systems. You know, we've kind of gotten through the whiz bang phase where we're excited that you know you can understand that that's a tiger standing next to a tree drinking water <laughs> and it's not likely to eat you because it's already had a meal. But we're, you know, and now we're expecting systems to be able to use that knowledge for a variety of applications, some good, some some not so good, uh, but to be able to use those app you know, use that knowledge in real ways. Um, yeah. And so you know, I think the interesting thing for us is, you know, where we are right now as a community is, you know, we want to understand which features are salient to a decision. Mm -hmm. uh, and that that's, you know, that's an uh, intimate part of all of the different kinds of algorithms that we use in AI today. Uh, we want to be able to then organize that knowledge 
in some way, right? So understand all the features that are salient, then organize it in some way that would potentially make sense, make it coherent, uh, and then try to figure out the best way to present it to a user. And mm -hmm. sometimes that's, you know, I'm a linguist by training. So, you know, natural language explanation is, or, or a dialogue is, the, is what I get excited about. Mm -hmm. But there's lots of different ways to do that, whether it's a bulleted list or a, visual, a great visualization. But what we want to be able to do is show that the, the chain of reasoning that allowed the system to go from uh, create big unknown distribution of, of data down to the decision that it wants you to take. It's fun to see this kind of stuff in uh, convolutional neural networks, CNN, yeah. that, that you mentioned, uh, because it's, it's, it's a very visual type of, of inspection that you can do. And you can begin to see the intuition, the reasoning of the system. And you can begin to understand that in some cases, the system reasons quite a lot like a human. In other cases, the system uh, very perceptively learns to reason about features that are either accidental or are not salient, right? If you right. if you feed it a giant set of photos, you know, it might it might uh, it, it's very easy for these networks to these models to get misled by kind of hitching on to some sort of weakness. Yeah. Some, you know, randomly available feature that's in a lot of images. It could be that all of your baseball images were taken on a single baseball field and there's there's the same building in the background of each of them. And so it identifies that building as the sign that, that this is a baseball game, which of course is not, uh, you know, an, an appropriate identification of a salient feature. So well, it, it, it totally could be, right? I think, you know, one of the things that we have to understand is that these systems that we're building are going to have a different worldview mm -hmm. uh, than we ultimately have. And just because it didn't necessarily take the human path to be able to generate, find a draw a conclusion or, or, or make a generalization, it's got to still be able to explain that in humans, uh, human terms. It can't just say, hey, trust me, I'm, I'm, a, right. I'm Sheen, I, I know more than you do. Uh, but it's, it's got to be able to establish shared worldview. Uh, right. And if you can do that in a way that it helps us explain that, even if it's not the way we would think about things or the way that any uh, any normal human would draw a conclusion, uh, I think that's a, that's a valid mode of interaction. So it's reasonably easy in cases with, you know, convolutional neural networks looking at images to see how these uh, models are, are reasoning. You're talking about uh, kind of a, a more complex set of higher order reasoning where um, maybe you're taking a pool of financial data plus a lot of text and you're kind of reasoning on top of these several different types of data plus you're, um, you know, coming to expectations that are a little removed from the content of the data itself. So how do you explain, how do you demonstrate the reasoning that a system like that is is going through? Yeah, so uh, what makes Saffron so special is that we can federate different data, data types from different modalities uh, into a common knowledge representation layer. Mm -hmm. So where once we, we can take in data from video or from sensors or from unstructured text or structured text, uh, bring that all together, uh, normalize it essentially against a time series uh, and allow our system to be able to reason over that without having requiring any sources of training data. So we, we like to talk about what we do is reasoning by analogy or reasoning by similarity. Uh, and so what we're essentially looking for in, you know, the, when we're successful, we're looking through all of this data in super high dimensional space. Mm -hmm. uh, we're trying to find exemplars or other examples that are like something, uh, an event of interest or an example of interest or, or something that's happened in the past that we want to identify whether it's going to likely to happen in the future. Uh, and so what's interesting are, you know, there's two challenges that we, we face. One is in terms of being able to understand which features are salient uh, and for for a specific outcome, right? Mm -hmm. It may be, it may be, uh, you know, maybe just a trend, right? It may be, you know, what if you're looking at uh, an example like trying to determine where a, where a certain uh, part on an airplane needs some, uh, maintenance, it may be, it's relatively easy with a CNN to be able to recognize a fault or a break, something that's right. broken. Um, but it's hard to recognize a pattern of wear that could necessarily indicate uh, a, you know, a, some 
bad that a bad thing's going to happen. And so what we try to do is correlate the pattern of wear that we observe with uh, some piece of uh, human intelligible uh, <laughs> knowledge, whether it's unstructured text or structured knowledge, uh, and bring that together and use that in our explanation. So an explanation could look like, you know, hey, part 314 is likely to fail in two weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, not just because somebody said, hey, that thing looks wonky, but because we have all of this other data that we can bring together. We have the visual data, we have the sensor data, we can bring all that together. And then when we make the explanation back to the user, we can say, yeah, 314 is going to fail and I have three different sources of evidence. And if you want to go look at that video, uh, you can go ahead and interrogate our knowledge base to be able to bring that video back uh, and see that and, and not just take our word for it. Just out of curiosity, um, I wonder if you could sort of walk us through the process of, you know, a cognitive system that's that's doing some reasoning and then explain explaining itself is there basically a you know a conventional sort of set of uh of of cognitive models leading then to like a generative uh model that creates a, a text explanation how closely yeah. related are the analytical and the explanatory parts of this system you know, so Saffron offers end-to-end -end solutions based on what we refer to as memory-based reasoning. Uh, and so we start by federating data from lots of different modalities uh, and bring that together into a knowledge representation layer that we call a memory base. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're essentially in an unsupervised fashion learning associations between concepts in that memory base. Uh, and then we use a variety of similarity-based functions or analogy-based functions to be able to uh, learn, basically infer knowledge between that, uh, that comes from those associations. So basically understand you know, how these things are related over time and in over space uh, and and uh, even using semantic uh, semantic knowledge to be able to infer the, these kinds of associations. The neat thing is that once you have that kind of great big knowledge representation there, uh, then you can interrogate that knowledge base for lots of different in lots of different ways to be able to understand uh, what what's anomalous or what's novel or to perform classifications. So you know a lot of what we do is trying to predict you know in an industrial setting we try to predict uh, when failures are ultimately going to happen. Happen. Or in a financial crime setting, we predict when uh, you know, certain you know, certain kinds of behavior patterns of behavior are going to become sufficiently suspicious that they warrant further investigation. Right. So very very similar kinds of phenomena. And what we're able to do is we have a an algorithm that goes and interrogates the knowledge base, tries to figure out ultimately where those patterns, you know, what the patterns of behavior that we're interested in, and then we present them back to a user. And when the user you know is presented with the knowledge, they can say, okay, great, Saffron, you've done a great job, uh, and pass that along and tie that into the rest of their pipeline. Mm -hmm. uh, or they can actually go back and investigate uh, each of those findings and find out the ultimate evidence that we, we, we provided to be able to address those, those, um, those issues. A question for a lot of people who are going to start applying AI in the next few years. You know, the, these people have, uh, are, are data executives at big companies. They've built up an immense amount of data. They're interested in knowing kind of how this data is going to be used. So what does the system you're describing entail for, you know, for data sets? How do you, how do you get the training data that you need in order to make use of it? Yeah, that's the brilliant part about Saffron. So, you know, we're really aligned with the kind of unsupervised uh, side of the kind of the learning world. Uh, so we're able to perform this kind of inference all without pre-trained models or training data. Hmm. Uh, so we, you know, what we are, we're reasoning by analogy or reasoning by similarity. And what we what we look for are anomalies in the data set. And then we try to organize the, the, the observations that we can make according to those anomalies, right? We try to understand the kinds of things that occur in, in the data set uh, kind of from a, from a bottom-up perspective. Uh, and then we try to build hierarchies of structure uh, that allows us to be able to explain, uh, you know, when we see a new event, uh, we basically, we take it in, we look at it, 
we look at it in all of its different dimensions and then we compare it to what we know from the data set from previously. Uh, and that allows us to be able to explain how this new event is a lot like the things that we've seen before or how it's different than anything we've ever seen before. So it's possible to have quite disparate uh, types of data and um, you're able to sort of identify associations uh, between between the, the different data sets, the different data sources. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it gets me to one of the things that I'm most passionate about in terms of why explanation and transparency is so important. Um, you know, I really want us to, you know, I, I'm really, my whole career, I've been focused on trying to be able to populate knowledge bases automatically, whether it's from text or from sensor data or from, from what have you, from visions, you know, and I really believe that, you know, we're going to be starting to talk in, in the near future, we're starting to stop talking about training sets and these kind of disparate kind of islands of, of knowledge that we're trying to extract from. And we're going to start thinking about real knowledge bases. And, you know, we're starting to see this with the Satori's of the world and the free bases of the world where we've turned structured data into kind of oracles of knowledge that we can reason over. But, you know, what is it going to take necessarily for us to be able to do that for all lots of different data sets or, or, or from, from the way the world works in lots of different ways? And and you, you hear people talking about this kind of in the autonomous driving space. You're talking here about talking people talking about this in the IoT space. But, you know, I'm really excited about a future where we're allowing the best and brightest machine learning or AI systems that are out there to kind of operate over any data that they want uh, and be able to reduce their hunger or their need for new sources of data because they have gold standard knowledge bases that reflect some approximation of the way the world works. Uh, and transparency is really important to be able to kind of usher that future in. Uh, we talked about initially in, earlier in the conversation about um, you know systems that may run amok, right? right Go right. and start learning over, over bogus data or draw the wrong conclusions or, or com- build knowledge that's not necessarily grounded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so by, th- by a parceling or by pairing explanation with our knowledge creation process, we're making sure that we can audit these knowledge bases in a real way going forward. Uh, and for something like Saffron, which depends on being able to bring together knowledge sources from lots of different sources to be able to, to reason about things in high dimensional space, uh, making sure that we have as much great data as we possibly can and have that and be able to titrate in as much high quality data as we possibly can or high quality knowledge as we possibly can is a real key to our success. Uh, and so it's one of the things we use that we put transparency out in front uh, because it's so important, not just to our users, and understanding why you know the why the decisions that we are making are, are so great, but also in terms of our you know our future users uh, who are going to benefit from the work that we're doing today. Andy, it's been a pleasure to speak to you today. Likewise, thank you. If listeners want to find you uh, online, where should they look? They should look at intel.com/ai or saffrontech.com. Terrific. Andy Hickel is the chief product officer at Intel Saffron Cognitive Solutions Group. Andy, thank you so much. Thanks, John. Really a pleasure. And I'm John Bruner with O'Reilly.